Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series for financial advisors. Today's episode is the next chapter. Former First Republic head launches RIA with backing from private equity firm Summit Partners. It's a conversation with Summit Partners executive in residence Bob Thornton and managing director Melanie Whelan. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is the Diamond Podcast for Financial Advisors. This podcast is designed for advisors like you who are interested in learning more about the evolving wealth management industry through candid dialogue with breakaway advisors, those from the C-suite, and industry thought leaders. It's available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. So be sure to subscribe and share it with your colleagues. At Diamond Consultants, our mission is to help advisors live their best business life. We want every elite advisor to find exactly the right place for their business and their clients to thrive, whether it's at a wirehouse, a regional, boutique, or independent firm. As the industry's leading recruiters and consultants, we've transitioned more than a quarter of a trillion dollars in assets under management in the past decade. And each year, 25% of transitioning advisors who manage a billion dollars or more are our clients. Curious about where, why, and how advisors like you are moving? Download the latest advisor transition report to learn more, including intel on recruiting deals and our insight and analysis on the latest trends in the wealth management space. You'll find it at diamond-consultants.com forward slash transition report. Or if you'd like to talk, feel free to give us a call at 908-879-1002. Until 2010, First Republic was considered just another sleepy bank brokerage option. It was then that Bob Thornton, the president of the unit, was tasked with shaking things up and transforming First Republic into a major player. And that he did. The momentum started with two mega acquisitions that put First Republic on the map, $6 billion Luminous Capital and $6.1 billion Constellation Wealth Advisors. Those deals led to many big recruiting wins over the years, with the unit eclipsing $270 billion in assets according to their 2022 filings. The wealth management unit that Bob helped build had all the right stuff, a boutique culture, a strong referral mechanism, and the perfect blend of freedom and infrastructure. But it couldn't withstand the regional banking crisis of 2023 when First Republic Bank's bottom fell out, along with the foundation it provided for the wealth unit. It was no doubt a period of enormous stress and uncertainty for the unit's elite advisors and leadership team. Fast forward to today. Bob is taking all that he learned and starting a new chapter in the RAA world. And the story unfolds with backing from one of the industry's premier private equity firms, Summit Partners. In this episode, Bob shares his vision for the new firm, the niche this firm will fill, why he feels top advisors will be attracted to it, why he's opting for an RAA platform instead of a bank, and much more. 
Plus, Melanie Whelan, Managing Director from the private equity firm Summit Partners, joins the episode to talk about the value Summit sees in backing Bob's new venture, and even more so, their faith in his experience and vision. Melanie has a keen sense of building and growing a business from the ground up from her experience having served in both COO and CEO roles at SoulCycle. It's rare behind-the-scenes access to the building of a new firm. That is of this recording, the name of which has yet to be revealed. There is a lot to discuss, so let's get to it. Bob, Melanie, I am incredibly grateful for your time today. Thank you. I'm excited for a great discussion. Likewise. Thank you, Mindy, for having us. Pleasure. All right, let's jump in. Lots to talk about. So, Bob, I want to start with you. You were on our show a few years ago when you were leading First Republic Private Wealth. And for those who missed the episode, can you just briefly share your background and how you came to join First Republic? Happy to. After graduating from college, I embarked on a legal career that quickly turned into an investment banking career at Goldman and then later Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank. That was a great chapter in my life. But as a result of being a long customer of First Republic's and people who knew the bank well, I was fortunate enough to join the bank in late 2004 to help contribute to building its wealth management business. And I thought all banks were alike, but the bank had a great orientation to service and to its clients, and it led to a great opportunity to build a wealth management business. Okay. So let's take the elephant out of the room, Bob. First Republic was at the top of the world in terms of recruiting mega teams. And in fact, many firms could learn from your success there. So let's start just by, we'll unpack more about First Republic in a bit, but many firms could certainly learn from your success. Can you talk a little bit about how you went about attracting the caliber of talent you did? Sure. One thing that's very important is myself and my other senior colleagues were all very involved in in meeting and attracting teams. I think they felt the hands-on leadership we provided. And I think that at the same time, we were able to create a very kind of boutique, more entrepreneurial feel. We focused a lot on the broader wealth needs of clients. We delivered incentive compensation to make it compelling to move, but more importantly, to help them grow. And as we continue to grow and attract many high-caliber teams, of which you are a big part of, the word of mouth grew. This is a great place to work. And finally, our ability to provide strong banking capabilities and a fun culture to work all led to an environment that allowed us to grow very significantly over the course of 15 years. So thank you for sharing that. It was an incredible thing to watch, the enormous success of First Republic. We're going to talk today a lot about the industry's next big thing. So generally speaking, let's have you set the stage for a minute or two. Where do you see the industry heading now? Well, I think the best headline to start that is I think our industry has a very bright future and is quite robust. And as there are more people interested in wealth and the wealth industry Advisors have become increasingly more discerning about the options to grow their businesses and where they want to do that to serve their clients. I also think that one of the things advisors also focus on a lot more is 
not only what's the business model, but putting a premium on management and the strength of management and their responsiveness to grow their business. The other thing that I think is a pretty critical trend is that while managing the client's investment management needs and brokerage needs is important, I think many advisors realize that serving the broader wealth management needs and how they do that is really what makes the client sticky and frankly really requires, makes the the client want to turn to their advisor first, given whatever their financial needs are. And then the other thing I would say is, as teams have gotten larger and larger, they're very good at serving clients and they're good at managing assets, but practice management, the ability to work with management or others to manage the firm and really manage efficiently is something teams are much more focused on today than they would have been even five years ago. Okay. Well, thank you for that. So with that background, I want to switch over to Melanie. I am incredibly grateful for her time. We're going to start by asking um, Melanie some questions first to set the stage. First of all, Melanie, could you share a little bit about your impressive background and experience? Absolutely. And thank you again, Mindy, for having us today. I'm Melanie Whelan. I'm an investor on Summit Partners Growth Products and Services team. I've spent most of my career working alongside and learning from exceptional founders and executives in building high-touch service-focused brands, including Starwood Hotels, The Virgin Group, Equinox, and SoulCycle. And I've loved working with brands that really focus on delivering exceptional customer service to build high growth in large companies with great cultures. So for a little a little context, my first three roles in business involved helping to lead investments, partnerships, and new business formation, as I said, with Starwood and then Richard Branson's Virgin Group, and finally Equinox, where my role was to identify new investment opportunities to expand our portfolio. In 2008, I met the founders of SoulCycle, a boutique fitness brand here in New York that was born out of a really simple idea. Exercise should be joyful and a community experience delivered with great customer service. And our team at Equinox invested in SoulCycle as we saw this opportunity to really help a beloved New York City brand transform an entire category of fitness, both in the U.S. and ultimately abroad. So I joined the team first to lead operations and eventually to lead the company and grew the, the business from seven New York City studios to an international brand. And serving as CEO through much of that growth was truly the most inspiring and educational experience of my career. In 2020, I joined Summit as an executive in residence, a role that we're thrilled Bob has now accepted with the firm. Summit has a four-decade history of partnering with what I believe to be are some of the world's most innovative and high-growth companies. And my experience working alongside the Summit team as an EIR really underscored the depth of passion that this group has not only for growth, but also for truly partnering and problem-solving alongside management teams. So after six months as an EIR, I transitioned to a full-time investor for the firm where I've had the opportunity to partner with talented leaders and support entrepreneurs and management teams through their own growth journeys. Thank you for sharing that. I said to you offline, Melanie, and I'm going to say it here, I'm fangirling a little bit about your experience with SoulCycle. To be interviewing the CEO of SoulCycle is very cool to me. But one of the things you said to me offline is that you see some real corollaries between how you thought about leading SoulCycle and the ethos in wealth management. Can you share with us a a little bit about what you meant by that? Yeah, absolutely. So at our core, SoulCycle, we always said, was really about the community and a hospitality company first. 
we had this mandate of a culture of yes, where we believed there was a yes in every interaction with a customer, with a teammate. And we really endeavored across 100 locations in 18 cities to be the best part of our riders' days. And that was all delivered by our talent, the talent on the podiums, the people at our front desk. They were really empowered and inspired to build those local communities. And as we have spent my team here the last two years really studying the wealth management space, there are so many corollaries in terms of the community and the great customer service that advisors deliver for their clients, for the unique solutions that they're able to create, and that culture of yes, which was why we were so excited to meet Bob Thornton as he was in this transition period and in his career, thinking through where he would spend his next chapter because we have watched from afar and admired what Bob built in terms of a service first, really talent oriented model with the FRB wealth management program. And we're absolutely delighted that he's joining us to build against a combined vision we see to create a next generation wealth management platform. Yeah. And so for those not familiar with Summit Partners as a private equity firm, but maybe you can share a little bit about some of the investment it makes and probably most importantly, what sort of experience it has in the wealth management arena. So Summit is a global growth equity firm. We were founded in 1984. And for four decades, we focused on partnering with empowering the growth of great people and, and great companies. Our, our strategy has remained consistent It's grounded in a foundational belief that profitable growth is the most reliable path to building a durable business and creating long-term value. Today, we're currently managing more than $37 billion in capital across our global portfolio of companies. And we have been fortunate to be the investment partner of choice for many of the best growth companies led by terrific entrepreneurs in the world. The firm does have a long track record of investments in financial services and the related technology space, including... Focus Financial Partners, RWA, which is formerly known as Advisor Investments, and Bestmark. Focus Financial Partners is actually a terrific example of our partnership approach. The company, which was a partnership of independent wealth management firms, was co-founded by industry veterans and backed by our capital. Summit and our team here worked alongside the founding entrepreneurs to help support the company's growth strategy through acquisitions. And from helping to source attractive firms to supporting diligence and then making investments in the core operational infrastructure, Summit provided not only the capital, but true operational resources to enable the company's rapid growth. So thank you for that. What is Summit's investment thesis for building this new RIA? So I want to just set the stage why I'm asking that question. We've been talking with top teams, the most elite teams, advisory teams in the industry of late about how the next big thing is private equity firms who have long invested in independent firms in the RIA space and now looking to invest in directly in wirehouse teams. And I imagine that's a lot of the interest in Bob Thornton, who's had such tremendous success in recruiting wirehouse advisors. But I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how Summit views the opportunity in the RIA space and why now. We think the wealth management industry remains one of the most exciting growth opportunities for innovation, in particular in this high net worth segment of the market where we're focused. And as Bob said in his opening remarks, we think it's a really bright time ahead and we're excited to be building. We all know that there's this money in motion around a so-called great wealth transfer. And what really excites us further is that of the $40 trillion in new wealth created creation that's forecast over the next 
decade, about three quarters of that is expected to come from the high net worth market segment. Again, we believe just creates enormous market opportunity to service that customer. In our research, while some clients may prefer the resources and institutional capabilities offered by large banks or wirehouses, many of these ultra high net worth families view the service offering as non-comprehensive and constrained somewhat by regulatory dynamics. So we believe we're really in the early innings of this advisor breakaway activity that you referenced. We're seeing more top producing teams look to start their own firms as these key service and product offerings and technology have become available outside of the wires. And growth in this RAA market focused on ultra high net worth and MFO strategies is forecast to grow at nearly double the rate of the wires. So as a former operator myself, what excites me is that we've seen that advisors who service these ultra high net worth families have strong entrepreneurial mindsets. They've built their businesses by delivering exceptional customer service and maximizing their performance-based compensation as a result. And in our conversations with these advisors, many share that their clients are encouraging their move to independence and with a willingness to, to partner with them. But I want to ask you a question about the competition. There used to be in the olden days, even 10, 12 years ago, that if you were a top wirehouse advisor, meaning you practiced at Morgan or Merrill or UBS or what was Smith Barney in those days, and you serviced ultra high net worth clients, the choices were really either stay put and deal with whatever frustrations you might have or go to another wirehouse. And partly because they were paying very significant transition packages and it was economically advantageous to do so. But today the industry landscape and the waterfall of possibilities has expanded almost exponentially. And there are many private equity firms getting into the space, investing in the space, every wirehouse, every regional firm, every boutique firm, and every RIA is competition. So in just beginning this journey, do you worry about that? I choose to remain optimistic and highly convicted because I think we have a magical combination of a terrific founding executive and Bob, a team that he is building, and the operational and strategic experience of a firm like Summit, who has been building into big and competitive market dynamics for the better part of four decades. Our intention with this business is to truly entrepreneurial advisors, meaningful equity ownership in the firm, and to build to offer them also built in a succession plan for their practice and creating this partnered independence model will really allow these wirehouse advisors to receive most of the benefits of going independent while gaining material equity ownership in a growth oriented firm where we'll all be working together to create a a meaningful and, and scaled platform. The last thing I would offer, I think is what I've really come to learn about this business is like so many industries, it's, all about the people. And we are so fortunate to have met Bob as he is, was considering his next chapter. And his track record, we believe, is impressive, not only for the results delivered, but the culture that he created while at FRB. We're delighted that he shares our vision for the market opportunity and look forward to partnering with him to marry both his experience and energy with our track record of, of investments in the space. Yeah. Melanie, thank you. I, you've been incredibly gracious with your time. I, I thank you for that. I think that perspective from the investor is really helpful. We're going to pivot now to talk to Bob himself about his thoughts at First Republic and going forward. But I really thank you and I hope you'll agree to come back at a later date so we can continue the conversation. Thank you, Mindy. I would absolutely love that and really appreciate your making the time for us today. You bet. 
So, Bob, let's get back to that elephant in the room. Given the fall of First Republic and the resulting acquisition by J.P. Morgan, talk to us a little bit about the lessons or takeaways you have from that event. Well, it was a challenging period for sure. But I think what I really realized is that despite how successful or well-managed any business is, there are always unforeseen events that can negatively impact that business and its people. And we saw that through some of the banking challenges last year. We saw it going back to the 2008 days through COVID. And I think the top, what, what I realized or reaffirmed is the top priority for any business should always be around its clients and its people to prepare for any period of volatility or change. And I think that the First Republic Advisors ability to continue to focus on their clients in this period and the safety of their assets that were available through third-party custodian was very important. As a result, that client focus allowed most of our advisors, particularly the largest ones, to emerge from a very difficult period without a significant negative impact. So you left J.P. Morgan recently. Tell us a little bit about this new partnership with Summit and the firm you are beginning. Sure, be glad to. So we're focused, and I'll repeat a little bit of what Melanie said, but we're focused on building an enterprise that offers another avenue to advisors that I think is unique. Number one, we will be independent, we'll be professionally led and managed. I think we'll have a very strong leadership team. The partnership at Summit is very important, who is well beyond a source of capital, but their strength and experience in the financial services arena will provide attractive consideration to join the firm, but also equity ownership and the ability to realize that equity. And lastly, but most importantly, will meet the broader needs of clients that I spoke to earlier. So, Bob, I imagine a lot of private equity firms looking to invest in this space would share a similar value proposition. What's different about this one? I think what's different, number one, my success at First Republic was not my own, but I do think I was the leader of the firm, and I think I will be fortunate enough to build another management team that has the experience of really managing what was a several hundred million dollar firm. And that's both with a proven growth record, as well as risk management and the other things that are important to advisors. Second, I think that the combination of upfront consideration to move, but also, as Melanie said, the equity value proposition will be attractive in a couple of ways. One, because, again, we and I have a track record of growth, hiring advisors, and so equity is only as valuable as the growth that comes from the value of that equity. And secondly, I think we'll have a way for advisors to realize that equity value. And lastly, I think that there are many good firms out there and we're certainly not uh, standing alone in that regard. But again, I think our overall focus on both advisor growth through referral activities and other opportunities, as well as meeting the broader needs of the client is really something we delivered at First Republic. And when you combine leadership, growth track record, the breadth of our capabilities and the equity opportunity and the overall incentives, I do think it's different. So Bob, I know this question may surprise you. You build something extraordinary at First Republic. I was privileged to have a first row seat watching you build this extraordinary community and culture. But after the fall of First Republic, 
Do you think that advisors will continue to entrust you with their business? Like, what do you think the community at large, those that were advisors that practiced at First Republic and advisors from the competition, what will they think about Bob Thornton leading a new venture? Well, I'm glad you mentioned the broader wealth management and a community because I was lucky enough to meet many advisors at different firms. I joke a little bit. We were the Ellis Island of recruiting. We recruited for most every firm. And I think the reason we were able to attract a lot of people to First Republic's wealth management business was from a, to a large extent because of the confidence they developed in how we managed the business and grew it and met their day-to-day needs. And we were able to do that in a very thoughtful, non-bureaucratic fashion. And I don't think advisors' confidence will be shaken in terms of mine or the management of the ability of the management team to do that at a different enterprise. Okay, that's fair. Why are you building a new firm rather than via a bank like you did at First Republic? Look, I have respect for many banks, and I have no doubt that we would seek to partner with those banks. But I think our wealth management business was built on the things that really matter relative to managing money, the breadth of investment opportunities, the ability to serve the client, the ability to provide them a strong platform to manage their day-to-day business, technology, et cetera. And so while banks are a great place in which to build a firm, I don't think it's a necessity in terms of building a firm that people would be attracted to join. So true, except that one of the nice things about First Republic certainly was the integrated banking and wealth management model. And one of the things that concerns potential breakaway advisors is having to go to a third-party bank for lending and mortgage needs and the like. So what would you say to these advisors about that concern? I don't think the issue is so much about going to a third-party bank or internally. I will tell you that there were a number of advisors that joined us that frankly lacked the confidence to bring their clients into to the larger enterprises banking arm. And I think that what we can provide is frankly to help manage relationships with some key banking partners where they still get a high level of kind of white glove service integration with the team. And frankly, there will obviously be more than one choice in terms of rates and the ability to meet the type of loans that clients need. A lot of also banking, I think most would agree, is really the banker as much as the bank. And again, I think the success we can have in partnering with great bankers at very good banks, will meet those needs in a way that will be efficient for the team and provide a great experience for the client. And if an advisor does banking or refers a client to a third party or an outside bank for a lending need, will the advisor get paid on that? Well, typically advisors don't get paid referring to outside parties. But again, my experience is they want to meet the banking needs of the client, but doing a mortgage loan for them alike is really not about getting paid. It's more about the criticality of the service and the certainty of closing, because that is something that they're doing to make sure that the client still regards them as their principal wealth manager. Talk to us a little bit about who you are targeting. The most important thing about advisors that we would love to work with are people who 
have built very successful practices and care a lot about their clients and their teams. And the reason that's important is that leads to advisors that grow. Most of the wirehouse teams have really grown through their own efforts of attracting clients, taking great care of them, and either getting more assets from those clients or from referrals those clients send to them. We also want people who are very much going to think about themselves as owners, and that involves a balance between what they may specifically want to do as a team versus what's going to be successful for the overall firm and the growth of the enterprise. One of the key things about growth is it allows you to invest more in the firm and to have more resources to better serve the client. And last and certainly not least is cultural fit. Our time working together at First Republic, we had a very rigorous interview process and people saw many different individuals before we asked someone to join our team because culture is very important and having people who play well in the sandbox and understand the larger growth objectives is something that I think will be very important as part of this enterprise as well. And will you only be looking to recruit advisors that currently practice as employees at big brokerage firms and banks, or might you be looking at some acquisitions in the RIA space as well? Mindy, I've been at this long enough to know to never rule out anything. It's really more about the advisor. I think the overall theme is to really recruit advisors who have a lot of experience in building their practices, both on the investment side, the alt side, understand trust and planning. And the greatest overall pool is that at our major competitors, which are mighty and have great people. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about what I started asking Melanie, the why now for this venture. So I'm going to tee it up by saying that in the last decade, the what matters most to advisors has really changed. We like to say that advisor mindset has shifted, gone from let me move to a firm that's going to pay me the biggest deal to where can I run my business with the greatest amount of agency and autonomy and where can I really have the most control over the client experience, et cetera, and building enterprise value. And as the industry landscape has expanded and the ecosystem born to support the breakaway advisor has expanded, there are lots of different ways for advisors to practice. And just in the independent space alone, there's probably 10 different versions of independence. The hottest thing these days that we're talking about with the most elite teams in the industry is the model you're building, which is private equity coming in to back elite wirehouse teams. So why now? Talk to me a little bit about why you think the time is right to launch a new firm like this in this space. And we heard Melanie's experience, but would love for you to expand on it. Mindy, I think that question is probably going to be the most important question of this podcast. And let me address that. Number one, um, not to be crass, but I think great teams can get very well paid anywhere they go, certainly among all the wirehouses. It's very competitive. People are hungry to hire great people. So I agree with you that it's more than the upfront or money. But when you step back and think, if I'm a advisor, what are my options? One option is I can go to another large bank or wirehouse, and there are certain advantages to that. 
I can go independent. But a lot of advisors don't really want to run their own firms. Yes, there's a way to outsource the platform and technology needs, but they really don't want to do it. And frankly, that's not what their DNA is. I would certainly say today that the regional bank option is limited. There's a lot of great banks there. And there are a number of RIAs out there, but without sounding too bold, I I don't think there are that many that have the depth of management of people who are there to really run firms. There are many great leaders of firms who are producers themselves. But I think that the ability to find a firm that is very holistic in how advisors want to manage money, again, know how to manage a firm of much greater size to be able to drive growth, protect the reputation of the firm. I don't see there that many opportunities out there. And I think this is why we want to capitalize on what we're looking to build now. So let's talk a little bit about this notion of a private equity-backed RIA. And obviously, if we're talking right this second for purposes of this question about the biggest and best advisors in the industry, and I'm talking about the the advisors that are generating more than $10 million in annual revenue and managing multi-billions in assets under management for ultra-high net worth clients, those advisors, as you just indicated, could have the pick of the litter. They could go anywhere. Let's presume they say, I've been there, done that as far as a wirehouse. I don't I view them as all the same. I don't want to do that again. They, they might agree with you that going to a regional firm or another RAA might not have the either the level of sophistication or the depth of product, service, infrastructure, et cetera. But they certainly could build their own. They could certainly build their own independent firm. And You said it yourself, there is a whole ecosystem born to support those folks where either they could hire someone to professionally run the firm, they could outsource the infrastructure and operations, they could hire a consultant, there are service provider firms, there are other investors in the space, there's lots of different ways for people to go about building their own firm and owning 100% of the equity. So in your opinion... Why is this model or what you're building superior to it to one of those t- elite advisors going out and building their own firm? Well, I'm going to answer that in two respects. The first is a very pragmatic answer. Many of the top advisors have been at this for quite a while. Generally, they've been doing this for 20 years plus. They're very successful. As you pointed out, they have large books of business, they're generous to their teams, and they have substantial income. So for many of them, they worked very hard to get to the point where they can spend their time serving clients, but they can enjoy the rest of their day-to-day life. So at this stage in their career, I don't know that many really want to do that unless they just have a burning intensity to do it on their own. Even in the days when I was recruiting for First Republic, it was quite rare. The world's changed a bit, but it was quite rare that we lost, for example, a warehouse to a team that wanted to go independent because they really didn't want to embark on that. They wanted to go to a place which had a lot of the hallmarks of entrepreneurialism and a more between culture and growth and more flexibility, but they didn't want to do it. That's number one. But to answer your question more specifically about the give up of 100% of their equity versus 
taking equity in a firm, it comes down to the fact that, yes, if you have 100% of the equity, you own all the equity, but it's really dependent solely on you to grow the firm and to grow that equity value. Whereas if you're part of a firm where management's doing that work for you by helping to grow the firm and bring in other advisors and leverage a lot of the capabilities of Summit, my thesis is, and I think many teams will find, that the ultimate value they receive from equity ownership could be much greater in this instance without all the work that's involved in building a firm. And frankly, a big part of it that I have found is just the fun and camaraderie of working with other advisors and sharing ideas. There are clearly people who are very autonomous and love being on their own, but a lot of people like the fun of being with others. So for all those reasons, I would never suggest that's the right path for anyone, but I'm fairly confident that many teams don't want to go through what's involved in doing it themselves. So let's talk about some of the potential negatives of joining a private equity-backed venture. So one is that the advisor won't control the exit. The private equity firm could decide to exit, and the firm then either sells to another private equity firm or could even sell to Merrill Lynch. I'm making that up, but that is an issue that advisors worry about. The second thing is that this is a startup. And a lot of folks will worry about it does not have a proven track record. So how would you respond to both of those potential negatives? Well, the first thing I'd say is unless you're on your own, there's always a opportunity for a firm to change hands or change control. I would tell you that given the investment thesis here, the advisors and management will ultimately be the majority of the ownership of the firm. And I also believe that given our goals towards growth and the ability to build a long-lasting firm, I think it's as possible someone could decide to continue to stay in the firm as exit. That's really a decision they'll have to make. But I would tell you that we will have opportunities for advisors to take advantage of the equity value. It will not be a startup in the sense of something is completely limited its abilities to serve the clients that we need to, as well as I do, that if you're launching an an enterprise with three or four major advisors, they're not going to leave their practices and come to a firm or any sort of enterprise that can't meet their day-to-day needs. And I am quite familiar with what those needs are, and we have the resources and capital to really provide that. So I I think the proof's in the pudding. If you see major teams and advisors joining an effort uh, and they're willing to bring their clients there, I think that sort of proves a point that this not so much quoting startup, but a place they're quite confident they can run their business. Let's talk about that for a little bit. What will the infrastructure look like? So these, these first big teams are going to join What is the support mechanism and operational mechanism going to look like? Well, I think one thing you have to start with, which I'm not going to name names, is strong custody. I think that's a critical part of any wealth management business is the clients know their assets are safe and they are a great partner to the firm or the enterprise in terms of where the assets are held and all the other functions. One of the things that's quite amazing over the last several years is the continuing number of technology capabilities for 
advisors today relative to how they serve their clients. There are many capabilities that everyone's aware of, Salesforce, Adapar, many people have used FactSet or Thompson Icon, eMoney, MoneyGuide Pro. All of those applications are important and we will have them. But there are newer developments. There's a terrific firm called Vanilla, which I'm affiliated with, which has some of the most unique software technology available for trust planning, trust illustration, trust documentation. So there are just a continuing number of tools that are available out there, but we will have the resources and the technology support and consultants to really integrate that together. The the other thing I would say about that, that those who have to be involved in running a firm day-to-day is it's not just the applications and the, the platforms, it's really data management and how you can use that data to support the firm's clients and how you household information. I know I'm sounding very operationally focused, but it is an important part of running a firm. But I'm really sharing this just to really, if anything, illustrate, we realize the importance of a platform and your question's a good one. And how about from a human capital perspective? How built out will it be from a management and leadership perspective? Well, obviously, I'm not at liberty to really talk about specific roles or people, but Trust me, I'm quite aware of what it takes to run a large firm, and we will have those people here to support us as we need them and launch the enterprise we intend to um, this year. Let's talk a little bit about how you'll think about structuring deals and valuation. So one of the things that has historically been true is that when an investor looks to invest in a wealth management practice, and that practice is not currently independent, but rather owned by a traditional firm, that the value of the business is less. In fact, that the investment would be made at the business's nadir because it, there's not, it's not an extant business. It's not an ongoing concern. It's not a proven concept as an independent business. So how would you address that, first of all, in terms of valuation? Well, maybe I'd look at it from a couple of perspectives. Number one, as I mentioned before, strong teams have no shortage of places to go and for firms to invest in their businesses. And as a long practitioner, many of the or most of those deals, if you want to call it, are upfront promissory notes with the promise of additional bonuses if advisors can hit certain asset hurdles. And those deals quite candidly, are fairly similar across the street. So when we look at investing in this business, and some in particular in the work they've spent around the space, is first, you want to start with a model and a business plan that really does look to really have sufficient capital to serve the clients and the teams, but really drives equity value. And starting from scratch, if you want to call it, as opposed to some challenges you might have relative to not being able to do that is a way of really starting the firm in a direction where you design the firm you want and you build around it. I think that the other significant uh, thing I would say is that, look, we know that when advisors move, the cash consideration is important. And we recognize that, and that would be part of what we would expect to offer advisors. But on the other hand, when advisors have 
back-end bonuses, if you want to call it, those back-end bonuses are very much dependent on the success of the team and what they can do, and many are successful. But we believe the ability for them to have equity in the firm, as I said before, the entire firm's ability to realize additional upside over the course of their history of the, the time with the firm, um, that can be far more significant than what I would call a traditional warehouse deal. So talk to us a little bit about that equity story. We agree that someone who goes fully independent owns 100% of their equity. And what you're positing is that getting equity and meaningful equity in this entrepreneurial venture will ultimately be worth more because you're not just betting on yourself, but you're leveraging the entire company's capabilities and growth. So talk to us a little bit about, give us an idea. If you were recruiting a $10 million team, for example, how meaningful could that equity be? And what is the equity story? Well, let me start with the equity story, because one thing I don't want to overlook at the outset is there are many you said it yourself, there are many either historical RIs that exist or teams that go independent, but they don't have a significant amount of equity capital to access to grow their business. And I think that's absolutely critical. It does take money to grow a business. At First Republic, we invested quite significantly in that space, and that led to the growth. Number two, as I said before, the ability for the management team And frankly, the incentive advisors to refer people to the firm is a meaningful one for advisors given the equity. So most teams don't move to a firm and think I'm going to be there three or four years. I think you would agree with me. They never want to move again, frankly, but they're definitely looking for a 10-year plus horizon. And again, I would say that if you look at the ability of our enterprise to hire teams who are quite attractive and from a growth and client perspective and continue to add a handful of teams every single year, but getting the best and the brightest, that equity value becomes quite significant over time. And yes, while we will share the equity with new teams, the reality is the overall growth of the firm from a revenue earnings perspective can be quite significant. And, and and it's that, it's ownership that can be, in my humble opinion, far more significant than it would be from a team on their own, even if they will look to sell their business again in 10 years. So let me ask you a follow-on question to that. How long do you think it would take an advisor to eclipse the deal they could get if they move from, say, one wirehouse to another? And look, in today's environment, there are 400% deals. Of course, it's not all up front. It's probably half up front and half on the back end. But in your mind, if someone were to join you, how long would it take them to eclipse the kind of deal they'd get if they took a recruiting package from another major firm? As you know, I've been doing this for quite a long time. I have been and very familiar with what kind of street deals are. And I wouldn't have gone into this unless I believe that what we could offer as a team joins us would be very competitive with what they receive if they move to a warehouse. As you correctly said, some of it's up front, and that's what I'm addressing, and some of it is, quote, back end. And it's really the back end difference that I'm speaking to, both in terms of the magnitude, the equity upside. So my view of that, Mindy, is that 
coming in day one, they can be on the same footing as a warehouse team. It's really what they're going to realize over the course of the history with the organization that will be more compelling than a warehouse deal. Right. And so about how many years do you think it'll take them to eclipse that? Well, again, if as you may well know, and those who are very familiar with any sort of equity enterprise, it takes time to build a firm and drive value. And so there will be opportunities for teams to realize some of that value along the way. But I would say over the course of five to 10 years, that equity value will be quite significant. But again, I just, as a comparison, I just want to continue to reiterate, once you join a firm and you're through joining the firm and the upfront, the upside to the team is really through back-end bonuses. And those are fixed in amount. They're very much dependent on the team. Those back-end bonuses can take five or more years to receive. So I don't view the, quote, time it takes to be able to realize much greater value here than it really would be with a warehouse deal. And again, I think it would be far more significant. Got it. I verily believe that the time is right to build a firm like what you're talking about, because I think independence in general represents exactly what advisors want. Maximum autonomy, freedom, control, agency, and the ability to build real enterprise value. The problem, as you named, is that many top advisors who are at the peak of their career, incredibly busy, don't have the bandwidth or desire to build and run a firm. So in the last decade or so, this model of supported independence or partnered independence has gained real popularity. The problem is a lot of those models don't offer any sort of meaningful transition money and likely no equity either. And so it solves for part of the problem, offloading the minutia of running the business, but it doesn't solve for the capital. So I absolutely believe, and we already have a number of teams interested in these models. So I verily believe the time is right. I love what you're building. And I think that given your success at First Republic, you are the guy to get this right. You know what it takes, what teams want, et cetera. And I do believe you're going to build this the right way. But how big do you think the addressable market is? How many teams, and you're not going to be able to give me a number, but what percentage of the overall advisor population do you think will have interest in a model like this? They have to be big enough. They have to have a certain critical mass in terms of how much revenue they're generating and assets under management they have. They have to be of good quality and they have to be have integrity. There's a lot of things in order to make them of interest to you. And I'm wondering how big do you think that market is? Let me address one thing you said earlier in your question. Teams are busy, and as you know and experience as one of the top recruiters of teams, they're called every week, if not every day, by recruiters or executives to look at at leaving or joining a firm. So I think one of the biggest challenges in building any firm is to get people's attention. And there are many, I used to say to to the great partners I worked with, of which you are clearly one, we really need the opportunity just to get in front of a team. That's really the challenge. Because one of the things that's important anytime that you have a, a business you run with your colleagues and serve clients, it is a business. 
Yes, it's very important to meet the client's needs, but it is a business. And a lot of times getting teams to really pause and think about it as a business is very important. And doing nothing to continue what you're doing is making a strategic decision about what you want to do with their business. When I would meet with teams, if they love their firm, everything about it, I would say you shouldn't change. You could, should keep doing what you're doing. Me too. God bless. However, I do believe, again, advisors are more curious, they're more interested, they watch what their colleagues do. And so the great thing about our industry is it's a very big industry. There's a lot of fragmentation and there are hundreds or thousands of advisors that are great hires. I do want to be very specific about one premise of your question. Yes, we will launch with some large founding advisors, but we will also be looking for advisors that are not all the biggest at their firms. We're looking for people who are very talented, who have great client following, and frankly, who are growers. Growers is what made First Republic successful. The people we hired had a track record of growth and continued to grow. So I'm always, it's always dangerous to talk about how big something could or should be. But I would argue that if we simply just hire a handful of great teams a year, uh, I believe this enterprise could be very large over the course of the next five years. Do you have a sense of when you're going to launch? Well, as I mentioned to you before, when we first chatted about my having the opportunity of spending the time with you, Summit has spent a lot of time on the thesis, the investment. I was very impressed with what they had really put together when I began discussions with them. The last month, I've been really spending time um, moving a lot of the components of that forward. And it's our great hope that will occur sometime in the middle of the year. Ah, okay. Well, we will certainly look forward to that. One final question. A lot of our listeners are considering breaking away, right? And what I mean by that are leaving the big firms and going either some version of independence or thinking about joining, let's say, a firm like Rockefeller, as you mentioned, some of the larger scaled RIA firms. And so what would you say to those folks? If you they were sitting in front of you and you could offer them one bit of advice about how to think about either stay versus go or the industry in general, what would you say to them? Well, the, the most important thing I would say is know what's important to you. There are some terrifically large and successful banks and warehouses. They have very well-known brand names. And for a lot of people, that's very important. At other firms, people are very close to their manager and who's there to help them, support them, and so whoever their leadership is locally or in the firm is very important. Other individuals want to have more autonomy, that they want to have more flexibility, and that can often come with a smaller environment. And then, as you rightly said, there are people who just want to decide everything from the name of their firm to what their reimbursement policy is to take clients out for dinner for their colleagues. So I think the most important thing is what is more important to you? If I were lucky enough to sit in front of any of your listeners, I would say, look, what we want to do is have a place where you feel like you have a strong leadership team, very focused on growing the business, is not biased in serving clients in a particular way, that you have ownership of the firm, you have a voice 
It's a fun place to work. And part of the benefit of that growth is investing in the broader capabilities of serving clients, which I think is critical today. And one of the things I was very proud of at First Republic, and again, it was not me. I have many terrific colleagues, senior colleagues who were part of that success story, which have gone on in recent months to very important roles within the industry, and I'm very proud of that. But I think we had a remarkable record of retention of colleagues, and it wasn't because of money. It was because we made it a place where people could thrive and grow, and they felt they were working with people who cared. And that would be the crux of what I would share with someone. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that perspective and I agree with you because as you rightly said, as the industry landscape has expanded, people have more choice than ever before, particularly really high quality advisors. And where they choose to work should absolutely be driven first and foremost, by what's most important to them, what's soulful to them, what their true north is, what they're looking to solve for. And I actually think it's an incredibly exciting time in the industry. Advisors are luckier than ever that there are so many wonderful options to choose from and the choice is not quite as binary as it was more than a decade ago. So Bob, I really want to thank you for joining me. I'm excited to work with you again. We're excited to see what you're going to be building and uh, look forward to reading and hearing more about it. Well, thank you, Mindy, for not only the opportunity, but I love talking to you about the industry. You're clearly a a great pro and built a great firm. And it's always fun to talk shop. And I, again, appreciate the opportunity. Curious about where, why, and how advisors like you are moving? Download the latest advisor transition report to learn more, including intel on recruiting deals and our insight and analysis on the latest trends in the wealth management space. You'll find it at diamond-consultants.com forward slash transition report. Or if you'd like to talk, feel free to give us a call at 908 879 one zero zero two.